Good day, one and all. This is Kevin McDonald, executive producer at New Mexico PBS, and this is the New Mexico in Focus podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 4th, 2021, and we are coming to you a third time this week with a third episode. We're mixing things up a little bit. You probably heard us talk about this, but decided to break down the show into a few different uh, episodes make it a little easier to digest and spread it out through the course of the week. And this one is an extra special podcast because we are bringing you extra material. These are two segments, interviews we did for Facebook Live over the last seven days. This is something we try to do at least once a week. Oftentimes it's more than that. But it's a way to feature some of the things going on and some of the people that are doing amazing things around New Mexico that we just don't have time for in the regular show. And we had a couple great ones for you. We're going to start off here with Axie Navas. She's heading up the new Outdoor Recreation Division in the Department of Economic Development. This was something the legislator created a couple years back, doing a lot of great work. And now is a crucial time for the Outdoor Recreation Division as we come out of the COVID-19 pandemic and are looking to restore so much of that tourism industry that took such a hit. We are so blessed with so many great outdoor venues and places to go and to spend time with the family even during the pandemic. I know a lot of you took advantage of our outdoor spaces and uh, there are plenty of great ways to continue to do that. And you're going to hear some talk about one of those ways, which is the Outdoor Equity Fund, something that was also set up by the legislature and designed to help find ways to fund people getting outdoors in New Mexico, especially underserved populations. And they have grant money available for all sorts of different proposals. We'll have a link to that here in the show description so you can find out how to apply if you're interested or see what the specifications are. But you'll hear Axie Navas talk about that amongst a bunch of other great stuff. So here now is New Mexico and Focus host Gene Grant with Axie Navas. talking with Oxy Navas. She is the brand spanking new New Mexico's first director of the Office of Outdoor Recreation, or or ORD as it's sometimes referred to. Uh, This was a law signed by um, Governor Lujan Grisham last spring, I believe March or April, somewhere around there, to create this office. Had a lot of enthusiastic support in the Senate side and on the House side. And Oxy, welcome. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor. Absolutely. Now, for folks, this, we have a lot to cover. There's a couple of deadlines coming up I want folks to be aware of as well. We're going to talk about it at the end of our, our discussion here. But let's talk about ORD, what it is, what it's supposed to accomplish, and, and some of your goals. So first things first, um, outdoor recreation, the numbers, let's start there. What does it mean for New Mexico, outdoor recreation in our pockets, literally? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I really want to drive home to folks is that this is a powerhouse industry. So according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is the same group that comes up with all of our national GDP data, this is a $2.4 billion industry in New Mexico every year. And that's right from 2019. We've seen enormous growth year over year for the past decade. New Mexico's outdoor economy is actually growing faster than the countries as a whole. It employs over 35,000 New Mexicans. You're talking about dollars in pockets. It's about 1.2 billion. So 
it's massive. There's a lot of people, a lot of incredible businesses that make up the backbone of those numbers, the human faces of those numbers. And I think fundamentally the outdoor recreation division, which as you said, was created by Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is built to support those businesses, to bring jobs and wealth to New Mexico, built on this idea of healthy, sustainable public lands and waters and getting outside, which is something I know it resonates with me. I think it resonates with a lot of New Mexicans getting out to our beautiful landscapes is truly extraordinary. And that's the beauty. One of the beauties of this economy, I think in a nutshell is that it's something that so many of us find solace and joy in. That's a good way to, that's a good way to express it that last bit there because at the end of the day, and I appreciate the language that both you and the governor have used in official quotes that this is a big part of our mental health here is being able to get outdoors. A lot of us grew up in other places where you couldn't necessarily just walk outside and be outdoors and get your, your head together to be flip about it. But it's a big deal for folks here, especially coming out of the pandemic, isn't it? It is, I think you said that really well. It is, it is essential, I think, for us. So many of us have livelihoods in these places. It is literally the infrastructure of the outdoor economy, these, these beautiful lands and waters. And then there's also that health element, our mental and physical well-being are so wrapped up in the outdoors. And that's that's also a key part of our mission at the Outdoor Recreation Division is homing in on that question of access. How do we increase access to healthy lands and waters? So there's a conservation element there too, to all New Mexicans. Um, so, so we can continue to have the next generation get their hands dirty with Asequia limpias or going fly fishing in the Gallina River um, or rafting in the Rio Grande or, or hunting in, in and around Lordsburg. You know, the opportunities are just enormous and they are diverse and they are present throughout the entire state. Mm -hmm. Surely. I got a question for you. You just ticked off a number of areas there, rafting, fishing, that kind of thing. Let's talk about what, in your view, makes up outdoor recreation. It's a pretty big bucket when you think about it. <laughs> uh, so what, what do we say to folks? What does that encompass? It is. It's a huge bucket and we don't want the definition to be limiting in any way. Um, we at the Outdoor Recreation Division are kind of laser focused on nature-based recreation. So if it is an activity that takes place outside in a natural environment, we consider that outdoor recreation for the most part. So again, it's kind of some of those core activities that you might think that are, that are so integral to our livelihoods, our culture, our history in New Mexico, hunting, fishing, uh, acequia work, hiking, just taking a walk along the bosque. You know, there's a lot of outdoor recreation in nature-based environments that takes place in our wonderful cities. So all of that is encompassed in how we define it. Um, I think the parameter there, and this is just for the scope of our outdoor recreation division grants and for the scope of our mission, we're, we're less focused on some of those developed like youth after sport activities. So um, development of soccer fields or um, you know swimming pools, that falls outside the purview of our grants. We wanna help support those groups, but we are really focused on that, that land-based um, community and work and activities and businesses. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about youth and youthy type folks, uh, young people. Uh, interestingly, when I read over the first round of grants that we'll, we'll talk about here in just a little bit that were let out last fall, some interesting organizations um, received money to get kids more outdoors. And my sense of it, and this is part of my question, is there seemed to be a, a fairly big equity push if I'm seeing things correctly. 
where, you know, a lot of times in the outdoors world, uh, and I've seen you talk about this, you as an ex-journalist, you've been quoted as uh, talking about this as well, that it can be white male focused a lot of times when we think about the outdoors and who gets featured in the outdoors, you know, how do we picture the outdoors and what kind of people are in the middle of the outdoors? Do I have that right that you're looking for more equity and who gets outdoors starting with young people? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that idea of representation. Um, I think that the outdoor recreation industry can sometimes be really myopic with who is getting outside on these public lands um, and what is the definition of an outdoor recreationist? Are they uh, a younger white male who's shopping at REI and wears exclusively Patagonia? You know, I think that's incredibly narrow, but it's often an image that we see across the country. And I think New Mexico is really leading the way in tearing down that image. So that representation question, um, but then also with some really innovative programs to hit at some of these other barriers that there are to outdoor recreation access, such as um, distance to public lands. Maybe you don't live in an area where you can go to single track right in your backyard. Um, or again, the outdoor industry, puts a lot of emphasis on gear, that, that it emphasizes the purchasing of new gear in our, in our capitalistic consumer society. And, and I think there's a real narrative disconnect there too. Um, one, I don't think you need all of that. And two, it can sometimes be a barrier. So how do you address those challenges? Um, and I think there's any number of ways to do it. The, the pioneering grant program that New Mexicans came up with is the Outdoor Equity Fund. And that is the first of its kind grant program to invest in transformative outdoor recreation experiences for kids 18 and under, primarily from underserved communities um, who maybe have faced some of those barriers or, or who are looking to expand the breadth of their experience outside. So it's something I'm honored to work underneath, to work with. It really came about because of grassroots organizing uh, of a coalition throughout the state with a few with a few key funders and, and, and founders, I should say, in Las Cruces in Doña Ana County. Um, and it's something that the rest of the country, like literally, I just got off phone calls with Colorado and Maine this morning, are taking note of. They're saying, how did New Mexico do this? How can we learn from your example? So that that is something I'm really excited about. Do I, do I have it right that we are the 15th or 16th state in the country to have such an office? Am I correct on that? You're right. Yeah, it, it changes pretty rapidly, to be honest. There's there's 28 states now that have pursued either an outdoor recreation task force or an office. And then I am actually honored to serve as co-chair of a group of 13 states with formal outdoor recreation offices. And that's called the Confluence of States. And we we could talk more about that history, but I guess I will leave it at that to say you're right. There's a there's a growing number of states who have created outdoor recreation offices. New Mexico was on the early stages of that. Um, and, and we are part of that national group that organizes around key outdoor recreation priorities. Mm -hmm. Would you, does the office or yourself personally have any, how do we put this, any influence with how we are promoted in the state via our advertising, our TV advertising, that kind of thing? Are you involved in those kind of discussions as well? We are, and, it, and it's twofold really. So. Our approach as, as the Outdoor Recreation Division is to really lean into um, earned media and own media. So we focus on our particular networks with our newsletter, which I encourage listeners to sign up to, and then 
pitching uh, journalists on trying to promote the great outdoor recreation scene that there is in New Mexico. So we're, we're pretty laser focused on that promotion and we, we get kind of scrappy with what that looks like. We want to be creative. Um, and that is in part because we're not set up as a big marketing arm. And that is kind of where I get to the second part of your question. We really follow the lead of and work with the New Mexico tourism department. And I'm sure, sure viewers of this have probably seen some of the great New Mexico true ads. They are beautiful. They, they often focus on the state's natural um, heritage and amazing forests and deserts and mountains. So we work with them um, and follow their lead on that promotion, on those promotional campaigns. What are the stories we're telling about New Mexico's great outdoors? Mm -hmm. I noticed you have a lot of partnerships around the state, not surprising. We were the fifth largest state in the union. You can't run it all from Santa Fe, certainly. But you've got some interesting collaborations. When I, when I, when I look over some of the information, I'm particularly interested in the um, stuff you're doing regarding economic development. I think it's kind of fascinating working with the Main Street folks. Uh, talk about that, if you would. How important are collaborations and partnerships in getting this office and your goals further down the road? They're essential. The work that I do, I think you can almost sum it up as like as relationship and trust building. We're a two-person office, uh, me and Alyssa Renwick, the project coordinator for the ORD, and we rely on those partnerships with both New Mexico Tourism Department, with Main Street, uh, which is a, a colleague program of ours within the Economic Development Department. And you know, that speaks to specifically to that program. I'm really excited about it in large part because of how well run that Main Street division is. Daniel Gutierrez, the director there, he is a colleague and we're partnering on this pilot program that to my knowledge has not happened in a, in a state in this country before to really have a deep dive look and study at how do we connect outdoor recreation assets, the, the trails, the the rivers, the forests that we all love with a Main Street community. And that is with a visitation focus. If you have folks going to El Mal Pais in, um, outside of grants, how do you ensure that after their incredible hike through those public lands, they then go to the grants Main Street community and, and get lunch, uh, you know, go check out the retail shops, go shopping, go spend a night there. I think that's a really essential question to, to make sure you have that economic development paired with the, with the trail improvements um, and with the trail developments. Mm -hmm. is, there, is there a sweet spot age-wise for this um, target? Because when I think about it, you can be certainly a senior and enjoy everything we have to offer. Uh, we, we, both, we all know anybody watching this knows about groups of seniors that take rafting trips here and all kinds of stuff. But for younger folks as well, you mentioned uh, just a second ago, they have a different set of goals when it comes to outdoor recreating. Is there a sweet spot you're looking for age-wise on this? You know, we're really not. We're here to work from like birth, thinking about early access um, all the way up to every single generation. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any exclusive exclusivity about you know, when it comes to age, when it comes, when it comes to enjoying these incredible places, right? As you said, you have, you have folks in their 70s, 80s, 90s, who are still rafting, fly fishing, going for walks and enjoying birding. Um, and those activities are all enjoyed by people in their 40s, in their 20s, maybe in their teens. Um, so I think, 
you know, I think we have a broad scope. If anything, we are really focused at the, at the younger ages just to make sure that that access is baked in because we believe that if you have access to, to the Sangre de Christos when you're a toddler um, because, because your parents, you know, feel comfortable taking you for hikes on the, on the Windsor Trail, let's say outside of Santa Fe, I think the chances are pretty good you end up as a lifelong recreationist. And so as a lifelong uh, nature lover, someone who's gonna protect and work for these places. So I think we really lean into programming at that level, but we also just wanna make the outdoors more accessible really to, to all New Mexicans. Mm -hmm. You know, I joked, <clears throat> pardon me, at the beginning of this about the weather, just being a little bit cool, the sun's trying here in Albuquerque right now. But we said to think about the outdoors as a summer thing or a better weather thing. You know, I grew up in a wintry part of the country and winter outdoor sports was a huge deal. And I'm talking beyond skiing. Of, of course, we do skiing quite well here. Is that an additional target? Because it seems to me there's an opportunity there when it comes to winter sports here in New Mexico. Our focus is really year round, I'd say. Yeah, skiing is a big one, but you also have, you know, just quite a bit of hiking, even mountain biking going on in the winter. Um, and I think that's one of the real benefits of New Mexico is you, depending on where you live, you might be able to do both those things, for example, skiing and biking year that's round. And, and that's something that's pretty unusual, I think. I think it's a real, um, you know, powerful factor the state has in its favor that I know I, as a New Mexican, really appreciate. I think there's a strong tourism story to tell there. And then I also think people, right, who live in this state really benefit. So, you know, we definitely look at it year round. Um, I think if anything, the thing that's always top of mind for, for us is just the impact of climate change on the outdoor recreation economy. Um, but then also, you know, to be, to be more human about it, the outdoors as we know them and love them. And um, obviously we're in the midst of a, of a drought and we're gonna have really low water levels um, in the Rio and, and other waterways throughout this year. So that has all sorts of impacts, right? It has impacts on, on food supply, on irrigation. It has impacts on, on the outfitters who raft that river, who fly fish it. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's multifaceted and complex. And again, I think that's where I go back to that, that partnership question of um, if, we're, if we're talking about mitigating the impacts of climate change, how can the outdoor recreation division play a role following the leadership of the governor's team, the New Mexico Environment Department, the Energy, Minerals and Natural Resources Department, we all have to work together to, to address that. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the issues you hear out there a bunch and not just in New Mexico, but everywhere is the idea of quote, sharing the trail. Uh, you know, lots of conflicts out there, horse riders, have a different sort of value system than maybe it's like motorcycle riders, that kind of a thing. And I, I bring up that question specifically, is there, or do you have a thought or has there been a discussion about how one accommodates uh, outdoor recreation when it comes to motorized uh, activities, meaning off-road uh, activities, four-wheelers, you know, all that kind of a thing. Where does that fit into the idea of, uh, of the ORD? That's a great question. And again, we are, we embrace all of that. We embrace motorized, we embrace non-motorized, we embrace all these different activities that take place under both those umbrellas. Um, and what that looks like is, you know, we advocate for um, companies that fall in both those buckets, motorized, non-motorized. Um, 
and within all these activities. I think ultimately what it comes to is what I'd love to see the Outdoor Recreation Division uh, help inspire is just community around people who love the outdoors. And I think everyone you just listed falls under that big umbrella. So let's come together and work to advance policy priorities and, and programming priorities as a united front um, and not let some of those some of those trail conflicts get in the way. And I think then ultimately what we're gonna see is more investment in trails. So we can have uh, a section set aside for hiking. We can set up a section set aside for biking and it's still all within the same umbrella but we're just being really smart with trail management. For example, to uh, separate and just make it easier for both those users to have a really wonderful experience. I think we're all working towards the same goals and I think it's really important we keep that North Star metric in mind that we can have the we can have those discussions and those arguments and those conflicts and that's all totally healthy but at the end of the day we're one big outdoor recreation community let's work together to to advance some of those big existential in some cases goals that that we should all be working towards well put i like the way you put that hey let's talk about the outdoor equity fund uh, i'm really super interested in this you've got a couple of deadlines coming up actually at the end of this week uh, let's talk about that. Let's peel back first and talk about who got funds uh, during the initial wave and how that all worked out. Uh, this was back last September, middle of the month. There was a number of recipients who got part of the Outdoor Equity Fund. And it was a good amount of money. I think it might surprise a lot of folks how much money was let out into who. And, you know, you had 84 applications, which is really an amazing thing to me, too. What are you anticipating for this go round? if you had 84 of them last time around? Oh, gosh, I would expect it um, to very nearly double, to be honest. Okay. I think we're going to have a, a grant application cycle that's longer. It, it, it opens on May 3rd, so it is really good timing. Next Monday, viewers, listeners can apply for the Outdoor Equity Fund. It'll close at the very end of June. So we'll be making awards in the summer of this year. Um, I expect it to grow for a few reasons. I think we have a more robust uh, campaign, promotional campaign in place. I think more people know about it, in other words. Um, we're gonna have a smoother, easier to apply to grant application. And then I think the big one too is that the governor and lawmakers really responded to that need that we saw last year, that those 84 applicants that we saw and have vastly increased the funding for the Outdoor Equity Fund. It's now at about $860,000. That's what we'll be awarding in 2021, as opposed to shy, just shy of 300,000 last year. So it's, it's a sea change. I think it's gonna enable us to get you know, potentially 10 times the number of kids outside based on some of the data we collected mm -hmm. last year. That's a phenomenal jump. That's it. That's incredible. Who, who, who is appropriate for these types of funds? What kind of organizations? If someone's watching this and thinking, I got some kids in my organization, how do, how do we do this? That's a great question. So it's all tribes, pueblos, nations, county governments, city governments, um, Asequia associations, basically these, these legally recognized subdivisions of the state to put it in, in the legal terms, uh, and then nonprofits. So those are um, a couple of the, the main eligible entity groups, um, schools, universities, you know, this won't be an exhaustive list, but that gives you some idea of who's eligible. And we also have all these parameters listed on our website, easy one to remember, nmoutside.com. 
Um, and I encourage folks to go there and actually meet via video some of the 2020 Outdoor Equity Fund awardees. They can read the full list that I think you probably have in front of you with those, those um, initial batch applicants, the, the 25 who were awarded money last year. Um, and then they can also see the, the full parameters of who's eligible, what are the deadlines, and where to apply. Absolutely. We'll have that information uh, in the thread below for folks who want in those links for folks uh, coming into this a little bit late. Also kind of exciting, you've got a, a pretty big out, New Mexico Outdoor Economics Conference coming up uh, in Farmington in the fall of this year. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, we're grateful. I'm grateful as the, the director of the Outdoor Recreation Division to work kind of under the leadership of, of Senator Jeff Steinborn and Outdoor New Mexico, uh, the nonprofit based in Las Cruces that has been the driving force with some of these, with these conferences. This would be the fourth annual, the third in person um, in Farmington. And I hope that some of your, your listeners have, have been to those conferences before they were in Silver City, they were in Las Cruces, as you say, the next one is, you know, if the public health data allows gonna be in Farmington this fall, and it's a really great moment for the whole New Mexican community to come together and share ideas about how do we do this right? How do we sustainably grow the outdoor recreation economy in New Mexico with well-paying, family-sustaining jobs for New Mexicans in ways that protect and, uh, and kind of revere the natural environment? How do we do that as a state? Um, and so that's really where we get into these big these big questions, big topic discussions, uh, is it this, this conference, which has a series of speakers and panelists and, and also a lot of fun, like you go fishing in the San Juan River, go, go biking on the trails in the glade around there and, and hopefully meet some people and maybe see folks you haven't seen in, in coming up on, on two years at that point. Mm -hmm. I gotta ask you, I'm not sure if it's, I'm making a right connection here, but any possible connection between the legalization of recreational marijuana and outdoor recreation tourism. Is there, is that something you guys are talking about in the office? Is that a real thing? You know, I don't, I don't think that was a, a driving force behind the creation or the passing of that, that law. I think, you know, anecdotally, if you're looking at some of the trends, uh, other states that have legalized marijuana have seen that, uh, that overlap and that economic benefit where you have people who want to go enjoy the outdoors. They want to go, uh, off-roading or overlanding or hiking or fishing, whatever it looks like. And they also want to be able to enjoy recreational marijuana. So there's no data behind that. I think, or there might be data. I'm not citing data. It's not at my, my fingertips, but I would say there's some anecdotal support. Um, and I would certainly hope that, that it buoys the outdoor recreation economy side of things as well. What do you want folks outside the state to know about our, our opportunity when it comes to recreating? Give a pitch for those folks. Oh man, I don't know that New Mexico is the best, most beautiful state in the country. And if you haven't been here, you're really missing out. And there's any number of, of, of activities you can partake in. Uh, there's any number of people and organizations you can learn from. And I would hope that, that more people outside of the state who haven't been able to experience that get a chance to sometime this year or next. Sounds great. And for folks living here, Get outside. Don't take it for granted. I, it's amazing the amount of folks I know here. Oh, I just stayed in all weekend. It was like, it was beautiful outside. What are you talking about? But we take these things for granted sometimes. I think for folks like me who lived other places before coming here, 
it can be a marvel just to kind of take it all in. But I, that's what 300 Days of Sunshine does. It makes us kind of jaded, I guess. <laughs> Oxy Navas, she is the New Mexico's director of the Office of Outdoor Recreation. I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough. I, like I mentioned earlier, this has been something I've been kind of watching now for the past six months or so. The governor's idea of just watching it sort of bloom to what we've got now. And uh, whatever way we can be helpful down here at New Mexico PBS, uh, as you know, with our shows, Colores and others, that uh, we do take in the outdoors as much, as much as we can. We've got an environment correspondent here with Laura Pascas. She's taken us to some interesting places around the state, and it's important. And, and I, I agree with you, all those things meet at once when it comes to outdoor recreation. There's policy issues, there's environmental issues, uh, the way the environment's heating up. There's all kinds of things that are going to impact it, but I have to say, congratulations. I think there's nothing but up for the department from here. It's, you know, uh, I think it's exciting. Good on the governor. And uh, please do check in with us when you get a chance and let us know. We'd love an update on what you've got going on with the department. That'd be fun too. That sounds great. Well, it really, it has been so fun to chat with you this afternoon. It's a huge honor. So much, so much admiration for the work you do and your colleagues. I have Laura's book at the precipice right here. I reference it all the time. So I look forward to continuing to work with you. And, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to please check out the website, reach out to me. My contact info is all there. We tend to be pretty responsive and just give us feedback. Let us know, ask us questions. We're, we're here to work for you. So thank you. All right, we're thrilled to bring you this next interview we did with Katie Stone. She's the executive producer of the Children's Hour, which here in the Albuquerque area, you can hear every weekend on KUNM radio, but they're on plenty of other NPR stations across the country. They do a lot of great work. This is programming that is largely done by uh, young people, and they have great things to say and a great amount of creativity and this program we're featuring in this interview is a great example of that. Katie and the kids, along with some other help, they came up and created their own musical uh, dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic, its effect on behavioral health and mental health of our children, and how to cope with some of that. It is called Icky the Musical. Seems like an appropriate name to me. Icky, of course, is the embodiment of covid and again, this is a radio musical, so really a cool project and a cool way to try to help our young people come out of what has been a really uh, traumatic 14 months or so. Their big uh, premiere online on Zoom was actually this past weekend, but not to worry, you can uh, support them on Patreon and be able to watch it there, or it will be part of the weekly podcast that they do for the Children's Hour on May 16th. So you can keep an eye out for that, but going to give you a lot more of what this musical is about, how it came to be, how they pulled this off in the middle of a pandemic. It is quite the effort and why it was such an important one for Katie Stone and the folks at the Children's Hour. So here again, Gene Grant along with Katie Stone from a Facebook Live we did in the last week. My good friend Katie Stone is with us today. There's a special event coming up on Sunday I want you to know about that involves her and that you know her from the Children's Hour on KUNM, but lots of other stations around the country. We'll talk about that too and internationally as well. But coming up this Sunday, it's called Icky, the radio musical, an original pandemic 
Radio Theater Production. Katie Stone, welcome. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Gene. I'm so glad to be with you today and all your viewers. Thanks yeah. for having us. Absolutely. I am so thrilled for you. This is an amazing thing. I got to ask you right off the bat, what is Icky? Who is Icky? What's Icky? What's going on here? And then we'll talk about the pandemic in the title as well. But what's the story? What's going on there? So Icky is a radio musical meant for your ears. Mm -hmm. Icky is a villain. Icky is the villain we've been living with since last March. Yeah. And Icky is uh, personified by one of the kids on our crew in our, in our superhero themed musical. And this is a story of kids being in school, on Zoom, unable to focus, unable to stay awake and one of the kids a dreamer named hallie has a wild imaginative dream and icky comes to life in her dream but the kids around her come into the rescue and it's a superhero story but it's also a musical and it's really it's just so catchy i just love it so much i i i'm in love with icky not the virus, obviously, uh, right. but <laughs> but I just it's just been such an adventure, and it's so much more than just a musical, Gene. I mean, yeah. it's it's thirty five minutes of pure gripping entertainment. That is true for all ages, but it's also sort of a, a launch to talk about kids' feelings, what's happened in this last year, and it's also something to mark in history what kids just went through from their point of view uh, i worried that we'd all forget what this was this year and i would worried that kids wouldn't be able to speak for themselves in the annals of history to say what it was like to be them in this moment and so that's what icky is it's a musical it's really catchy my whole family's been um they're trying to save like they haven't seen it yet but they keep occasionally hearing a little bit of the music and now everyone's like you have made it so we can't stop singing which is exactly what you want with a musical right like you walk away just, like whistling the song and that's, that's right. you definitely will with icky for sure so in fact we have a little bit of a treat we're going to hear just a little bit of some of the opening in just a second but i do i do need to ask how did you corral all these kids to participate in this during a pandemic? It seems <laughs> almost impossible. That's incredible. Corralling kids is my thing. Um, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> you know, the children's hour has a kids crew that's probably about 35 kids big. And we put out the call last fall saying who would like to do a musical and 18 kids signed up and um, we added three adults and i'm one of them because you know it's my musical uh, I, have, I have only a small part uh, but the kids are really the stars and you know there's so they're kids from my crew who just wanted to be part of something bigger and this is a story that was written based on workshops with the kids and our playwright i wasn't alone not only Am I part of the production team and I'm the executive producer, but there are 17 creative people who worked on this project, plus our 21 in the cast. So fairly impressive during a pandemic. And we just met every week on Zoom 
rehearsing, first workshopping, figuring out what this story would be, hearing from the kids themselves about what they're feeling, what their concerns are, and if they had a superpower, what would that superpower be? And our playwright, Saren Monet West, is from Albuquerque. She's a young woman, um, but she'd been working in uh, New York on Broadway. And like so many theater people, could not work during the pandemic. All her work stopped. So she came home to Albuquerque to ride out the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we were able to hire a bunch of these unemployed theater people to write the music, compose, be our music director, uh, our assistant director, our director. And it was just, so it was also an economic incubator during the pandemic for creative people who could not do their normal work. So it had all these different roles, Icky. But for me personally, Icky was about looking at the kids on my crew and seeing them get sadder and sadder as the summer went on last summer. And just thinking to myself, what can I do? What can I do to lift these kids up beyond our weekly recording sessions for the children's hour? And so we launched Icky. And so in a way, it was kind of a lifeline to get through the pandemic. We all met weekly. We got really close. We we worked really, really hard. And um, now we have something to show for. I can't wait. Well, show. <laughs> here for it. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. It's so exciting. And that's a reminder that it's coming up on Sunday, 4 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, it's going to be a live stream and pre-registration is required. We'll talk about that at, at the end of the, our, our discussion, how to do that. Um, so but it'll also be on our radio show, Gene. Oh, right. You know, that's the Children's Hour is an internationally syndicated, independently produced public radio program for children. We're on more than 120 radio stations around the world in four countries. And we're producing every week educational, entertaining kids public radio that draws families and teachers and grandparents and everyone in to listen and learn something new every single week. And it will be one of our shows. And so it will go out. It'll KUNM listeners can hear it in May, the third Saturday of May, I believe. Is that, <laughs> so the, is that the 10th? 15th, I think. Oh, the 15th. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a Saturday at 9 a.m. And it, okay. it will be in that show of the Children's Hour. It'll also be on every other radio station that airs us as well. Interesting. Now, we do have a, a clip you've supplied of something near the opening. What are we going to hear? I'm, I'm curious. So this is one of our songs. And um, this song comes in in the first scene. So this is at the very beginning. Um, the kids are in class on Zoom, struggling to stay focused struggling to pay attention to their teacher. And the teacher is talking about climate change. And there's a reason for that. Because when we did our workshops, and believe it or not, we did these workshops with kids and we asked, what is your biggest concern? Gene, their biggest concern was climate change. It okay. wasn't COVID. We were in the middle of a pandemic and their concern was not COVID at all. It was climate change. That's fascinating, wow. So you're going to hear the kids, they're trying to be, the teacher's trying to get control of them, but it's not really working. There you go. Let's give us a quick second. Our man, Kevin McDonald's going to split our screen and get us underway here and we'll take a listen. No, no sweat. I got some great questions coming up for you too. 
No, that's right. We'll, we'll come back to it. Um, Katie, I got to ask, I, there's some interesting people involved. Um, obviously, these things, meaning music and words and things have to get on paper by somebody at some point. And it's so interesting to think about a musical and who wrote the book, so to speak, as you know, and, and the music trade. So who did write the book? Who, who wrote the music and, and who composed the music and everything on that end of it? So the book and the play was written by Sarah Monet West. Okay. The music was composed by Jules Latimer Warren. And she too is a young woman, theater person, was here at Albuquerque riding out the pandemic. Um, she's a composer, Juilliard trained. Even her grandmother went to Juilliard. And our lyrics were a totally different person. Uh, that was written by Hakeem Bellamy, who's well known as Albuquerque's first ever poet laureate. And Hakeem enthusiastically joined our team. And, uh, and his lyrics, oh, they just make the hair stand up on the arms. I mean, it's so, the music's so jaunty and fun. And the lyrics are so right to the heart. And they really express the the sort of frustration and sense of loss that kids have been going through at this time, mm -hmm. but set to this like super catchy beat, right. <laughs> smiling because you're listening to it, then you're listening to the words and you're crying because it's like, oh my goodness, when you think about all the things the kids have lost this year, right, all right. the things that we've put them through this year and really been focusing pretty intently on the adults and how we're going to do things. and it's been a rough year for kids. Yeah, I can imagine. Talk, talk about the collaborative process during a pandemic, of course, you know, uh, was there like writing sessions once Hakeem kind of threw some stuff in or, or other ways you guys all sort of decided together? I'm, I'm trying to picture my mind's eye, a big Zoom confab <laughs> to put together a musical and it's wild. And it's like, man, that's interesting, you know, to kind of think of it that way. You know, I'm a creative person myself, and I really don't like people hovering over me while I'm in my creative process. I'm, I'm very much of a, I hermit in and do my creative process. You know, I, I work with kids and then I bring it all in and I, I'm kind of, so I really didn't want to hover over our creative team. But our creative team met quite regularly together. And Hakeem uh, would submit lyrics to Saren and to Jules and to our music director, Sage Saracen. And they would work out sort of how they are going to fit into the lyrics, uh, the, the lyrics into the music. And each one had to be in their own world. I mean, each person had to be on Zoom. No one met in person ever um, until the very, very end when we did our recording day, which is an interesting story in and of itself. But the actual process of creating it started with workshopping with the kids on Zoom individually, one at a time. And then we all started meeting as a group. And then we started going through all the drafts of Saren's work and the kids very often, as kids will do, will make corrections and, you know, tell you when you're wrong. And those lines all got into the musical, by the way, <laughs> the kids, the kids and their commentary frequently are the lines you're going to hear came right from their mouths. And so yeah it was really a collaborative process both with the creative team on their own and then when they would bring it to the larger group of all the kids the kids felt free to <laughs> comment and tell what they liked and what they didn't like <laughs> and um and then it just sort of got it kept evolving until we finally had a final script and then just really working it out all on zoom 
Yeah, all on Zoom. All the music rehearsal was on Zoom. Everything was on Zoom. And um, it was really a challenge. Uh, but, you know, once you get in the swing of it, you get in the swing of it. Once you kids normalize what we put in front of them. So by the time we started this process, which was in the fall, the kids were pretty in the groove of using Zoom every day. They were much more adept at it than any of the adults. Mm -hmm. And um, giving us all kinds of advice about what I can imagine. Right. <laughs> By the way, when you when you say in the fall, you mean the not this past fall, but the fall before. Oh gosh, no, this past fall. Oh, this past fall. Okay. Oh gotcha. no, we started. We started. Um, the original creative team meetings were in late September and in October. Oh wow! And we started rehearsing and workshopping with the kids intentionally the Sunday before the election, because. How we looked at it, Gene, was the tension in our nation was so palpable to all of the kids on my crew. It was a constant source of conversation. Um, you know, who will be elected? And, you know, what if, what if, what if kind of conversations. And I decided we've got to start this before the election so that there's just something to look forward to no matter what happens in the election. And so we started the Sunday before the election and we worked nonstop through February. And we had our recording day on February 28th. And that was really a, like, a it was a technological, it was a nice technological puzzle for me. I, I love puzzles anyway, but this one was really challenging. How do you pull together 21 people, grab their audio that's radio worthy, so it had to be really pristine, have them hear each other and the director and the music, how do you do all that and not break the rules for COVID safe practices, which were at the time you could have five people. Ah. And we had 21 in the crew. How, and how, did had, you, how did you do How did you do it then? I'm so curious. Oh, it is. It is such a wonder. Actually, I'm, I'm still sort of stunned by how we pulled it off. I work with this well-known local music engineer named Andres Martinez. Everybody loves Andres. He's the engineer at the Outpost and the engineer at the uh, National Hispanic Cultural Center. And Andres has worked with me for years. He's been my live engineer at my live shows, which like so many of the creative people, I couldn't hire him for live shows last year after the pandemic hit. So he really, he took a hit from me because I couldn't keep hiring him. So I, I engaged Andres and I said, you know, we have this puzzle and we have to figure it out. And here are my ideas. And there is this tool that a fellow KUNMer named Brandon Kennedy has, which are these headphones. He uses them for dance parties, and they are actually picking up a radio signal. Whatever radio, whatever feed you put into their little transmitter box is what the that system and then into the soundboard came the music on a laptop a different laptop that had the zoom of the creatives who couldn't be in person because we couldn't break the five person rule so we had a bunch of the creatives on zoom who were listening in and trying to you know give kids feedback and our assistant director who couldn't be there our regular director was one of the five but even among them I made him stay in his car. He had a convertible. <laughs> so he lowered the convertible and sat on the back of his convertible. Then we put microphones on stands that were wireless microphones through, um, through a crack in the car window. So 
I really had to think this through. So every kid had headphones that they could hear what everyone was hearing and they could hear each other. And every kid had a microphone. And then I was just sort of standing out there, you know, problem solving and listening and making sure kids weren't too close or too far from their microphones. And Andres had an assistant with him to help us set up. And I have my assistant, Sam Henning, who works for the Children's Hour. And she took a lot of pictures and kind of helped problem solve. But that's it. It was the four of us out of vehicles. And the occasional running through the scene was my husband snapping photos. And then I'd be like, go, go, go. You can't be <laughs> You can't be here. Go. And I actually called the mayor's office and spoke with someone and said, I have this plan. Am I breaking the rules? Is this plan going to work? And they approved my plan and they said, you are doing this absolutely COVID safe. We had actually seen some videos of church choirs and other choirs recording in this way. Uh, and they, you know, they were recording without the headphones. So you could hear the music coming through their car speaker. And I didn't want that. I didn't want any with radio. We really need to capture just the voice and none of the other noise. And so. Then we ended up in post-production pulling all that audio together. Plus, I, I went ahead and hired a band because, you know, a musical has to have a band. It has to have an orchestra. So we hired jo Rob Janoff, who is the middle school teacher, music teacher at, at Jefferson Middle School. By the way, he taught Sage Saracen, who was our music director when she was a kid. And oh, by the way. Our playwright, Saren Monet West, was on the Children's Hour as a child. So this was such a full circle for me, all these people coming together. And Rob helped oversee the he composed the music that's the underbeds and brings us between the scenes. And then we hired, we being me, myself and I, all three heads of me, I hired a bunch of musicians who they don't actually normally work together, but I wanted certain instruments. And so one of our parents is from the Squash Blossom Boys. And I, I kind of turned to him and I asked Kyle Malone to please help me figure out who we could put together. What would sound great with this song? What do we need? And so we got drummer and keyboardist and, oh my gosh, it just went on and on and on. So we hired a band. All of their work had to be pulled together in post-production. No one got to play together. No one got to just like sing a song and there was the band. We all had to be independently recorded. It's really been quite a challenge. And I did engage this time. Usually I do all my own post-production, but this was so overwhelming, even for right. me, that sure. I actually engaged a post-production engineer. She's had a lot of experience in film and, um, and television and never in radio. So I've had to give her some radio tips, but she pulled it all together and she's been amazing. Her name is Jen and, and she's just been fantastic. And mm -hmm. here we are. It's amazing. Wow. You know, you've been around That's a few great. radio productions. I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize what you're saying. It's like, Oh, oh man. Uh, yeah, it was, if you can imagine, I, I live on a small farm in the yeah. North Valley and I had a field that is normally farmed, but it was February. So we weren't irrigating yet. So we parked the cars in a grid on the field so that, and every car had to be six feet apart from the other car or more because we are singing and singing is more, you know, you, you project more, but also I wanted everybody's windows to be up. And thankfully we were blessed with a pretty calm day. The wind kicked up right when we finished and we were all so happy and it was calm and it was kind of cloudy. Mm -hmm. And so it was very pleasant in people's vehicles. And, um, 
and you know, I did, I went the extra mile. I got a porta potty so that people didn't have to come in my house. I knew that that would like right. eventually people would need that. You know, I bought like, I never buy those disposable water bottles, but I went and bought a case of disposable water bottles and kept passing them out to cars. And, you know, we just were trying so hard to make sure everyone felt really, really safe. And, and you know, to the spirit of the musical, we're trying to defeat a monster here. Right. And the monster was very much with us on February 28th in the room, so to speak. And you know, it's still with us today, unfortunately. So it was such a fun technological puzzle though. I mean, I just love crazy things like this. And I know you do. I think you like a challenge. It's what got you to where you are today. I love it. I love it. Kevin, do you think you want to give it another shot on the uh, on the clip or we could certainly just do it in, in post as they say and have it for later. Let's do it. Katie, if you set that one up for us, that would be. Oh, awesome. sure. So one of our heroes is wild. She is the hero. She's the superhero of all that is wild around us. And we know that the natural world is what we need to defeat COVID in real life. It is the natural world that will defeat COVID. I mean, even the vaccine is a piece of the natural world. And so wild is brave and she finds the sicky icky in a cave and she dares to confront the sicky icky. Nice. Who dares call on me? Stop super spreading, please. It's tearing families apart and really hurting people. Why would I stop? I'm the most powerful male-identifying person in the Spectroverse. You can't just take over the world with this nasty ickiness. You're obsessed with power and you're trying to cling to it. But people are being really hurt by all of this. Who cares if a few people get hurt? They're a worthy sacrifice. No one can stop me from spreading. I won't stop until everyone knows my greatness. Well, I'm going to have to try. Ooh. That's cool. Aw, I like that a lot. That's sweet. <laughs> Wow, Icky sounds, sounds horrible. Icky sounds oh, like Icky's no, <laughs> terrifying. And here's the funny thing. We did a lot of rehearsals with our Icky, and Icky experimented with different voices. And when he came to rehearsal day and had this voice, I mean, we were all just like jumping up and down cheering. It was so exciting. Awesome. It's a terrifying voice. He has a right before that that those lines he has his own little monologue and it is scary he is scary and we wanted him to be scary because he is scary in real life this has been we wanted to encompass the feelings the kids had which was fear and the mm -hmm. fear he embodies that fear and he also is irreverent about you know his power he knows he's powerful and he's gonna do it anyway but you can tell that it, our play was written by a bunch of young women. I have to wonder, Katie Stone, if there is a lesson for other teachers of art, um, academia, you know, schooling, whatever, 
to look at what you did and what you pulled off and, and, and the, the, the power of a long-term project for kids and how they can get, is there something there when you look back at what you, what you guys did? Is there a model for, some, for someone to, to try and take on something as complex as you guys did? Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing is, is the believing in it at the okay. very beginning and believing you can get through and not being daunted. And the second thing is putting together such a good team that, you know, really supports each other and fills in all the blanks. Mm -hmm. I recognized right away, I, I could write a musical all by myself. I could make up music. I'm not a performer. I'm not, I, I'm not that kind of performer. I'm not a singer. I have a kind of sing off key. So, but so I wouldn't have been good to do this. And I really, really wanted to see uh, the voices of kids represented and young people. And our creative team are all young women of color. I mean, the young, the, the three primary folks, Sage Saracen and Saren West and Jules Latimer Warren, they're all young women of color, under 30 years old, trying to make it in the world of theater as young women of color in the world of theater, which is already a daunting task. And I wanted specifically to reach to those people. As far as teachers go, you know, Jean, we are, um, our, our director, Jonathan Dunsky, was the head of Play Conservatory, which was a longtime theater company for children here in Albuquerque. And oh, wow. sadly, it got crushed by COVID. Right. And last summer, I ended up receiving this fairly large donation from Play Conservatory. And I was really surprised by it. So I called up Jonathan Dunsky and asked like, why are you sending the children's hour money from your organization? He said, we're folding. And we all agreed to send all the money to you that we had in our bank account. Okay. And oh, by the way, if you ever have a theater project, I'd love to be part of it. And I'm like, you should be right. careful when you talk to me because <laughs> I said, oh, do I have a theater project? And at that time, it was just this wild hair. And I kind of want to explain where it came from, because yeah. mm -hmm. what happened at the very beginning of the pandemic, remember last March when we didn't know what was happening? We didn't know how it was spreading. We weren't really sure what this was or if are you going to get it by touching your newspaper? Are you going to get it by going to the grocery store? We were all really scared. And I had my my son was at UCLA in his third year of college. And he um, I called him up on his birthday in March and I said, I think I'm leaving tomorrow. Albuquerque and I'll be in LA tomorrow night. And he's like, wait, what? You can't fly. It's a pandemic. I said, no, I'm, I'm leaving at like four in the morning and I'll be in LA by tomorrow night. And, um, I'm getting you out of LA. Cause I could see that LA was going to be yeah. a train wreck. And, and so I went, got my son, pulled him back home. 48 hours later, we were back in Albuquerque. And the next day we sat in my living room, the four of us, I have a son and another child who's was finishing high school and they're like trying to finish their senior year. It was a super bummer of a senior year. And then my yeah. husband and we were sitting around the living room, passing this little stick, trying to like go through like our fears and how the heck would we navigate this pandemic? in a family of people who all needed to be online at the same time. We had terrible internet. We only had so many desks. I mean, how are we gonna work this out? So practically is what I thought this meeting was about. And then this dick came to my son and he said, family, I challenge us not only to survive, but to thrive. 
And I felt like first, like super mama pride, like, oh, that's my boy. Listen to him. He's so wise. But then I thought that could be like our family motto. And it might actually help us deal with this insane fear because at the mo at, in March, we still didn't know if the high school kid could go back to high school and would have prom or graduation, you know, and it was like in a week after spring break is, is that, is school starting or not? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was just a ton of fear. And so one thing that that sentence did was it sort of gave us a perspective that was very different. It was about let's look at this as an opportunity, an opportunity to be better people. And he went around and he said that even more and he elaborated. And then we made this huge list, which we hung on our refrigerator of all the things we could do personally to thrive. And when it came to me, I said, well, you guys, I'm gonna write a musical. And my kids were like, oh, please, mom, no. Cause I sing a lot. And I might've <laughs> mentioned I sing off key a little bit, but when I'm stressed out, um, I recommend this for parents, by the way, <laughs> even though it drives your kids crazy. I just turn the stressful situation into a musical. And I sit there in my kitchen and I say, you know, I start singing along about how I have to cook and I really had all this other stuff to do. And now here I am being a mom and I don't want to hear your whining kind of singing. And so this is what they were expecting and kind of what I thought too, that I would just sing my way through. I'd mm -hmm. sing my way through the year. So when the opportunity came and Jonathan said, do you want to do a theater project together? It just hit me that yeah. I could make this reality. I could make this thought and this dream into reality. And it could be a lot better than what I come up with and what I sing, which is true. <laughs> so that's kind of my own personal, like how I handle, how I stay cheerful, yeah. how I, I handle stress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, do, I do a lot of advocacy work in the disability community as a as a as a volunteer, and that is born out of my own family's experience with disability. And so life can be very stressful for parents of kids with disabilities. And I have learned in my you know years of parenting that if I keep my cheer up, if I keep my good attitude up, it's infectious. And everyone, it's sort of like if mama ain't happy, no one's happy. Right. Well, it's a responsibility that us mamas have to, you know, like sometimes you don't want to be happy, A. And B, you know, it's just it's a lot of responsibility, frankly. And, you know, but how do you get there and keep your good graces and keep your genuine, authentic joy alive? And and I, I, I do that in a lot of different ways. And uh, this little thing we did as a family, it changed our whole pandemic experience for each one of us. And I must say, um, we really took it seriously and locked down and, and didn't go anywhere and like did the grocery pickup in our trunk of our car. And thankfully, the Children's Hours headquarters and studio is a separate building on my farm. So thankfully, whew, I was already prepared for the pandemic and that's why we never lost a week of programming mm -hmm. and i was able to instantly flip how i program and you know we just kept plugging away and working at home and being the best selves and we would bring this up a lot at the dinner table mm -hmm. how are you thriving how are you not thriving and can we help you thrive to each other the four of us and it just created this little like beautiful knot 
kind of, of family that I don't know would have ever happened without a pandemic. I mean, we're all really close, but now we're like really close. And we really understand each other in ways we didn't before. And my kids are now adults. And so I'm knowing them as adults. And it's just been a beautiful process, you know, to try to do this. So my, my work um, with the, the musical itself and trying to spread sort of what I view as a parenting role to the kids I work with and taking that same exact attitude and direction to my crew. How can I help you thrive? I see you're not thriving. What can I do to make you thrive? And one of the greatest things that I know I tell me if I'm talking too much because I can shut up. But anyway, one of our kids on our crew um, is this little guy and he's got a solo that he just he like nails it so well. Uh, this little guy named Kodiak and he's just such a, a, a spitfire. He's just all over the place. And Kodiak's mom told me that Kodiak memorized the entire musical and and he would play different roles and he'd say everybody else's line, but every time he'd be a different character and he'd make new sounds. And when we had recording day, he showed up in full costume as a superhero and it was for Kodiak. It was for, and he was one of the ones I was so worried about. He was one of the ones that I was seeing on the screen get like sadder and sadder and sadder. Mm -hmm. And it just pulled something out of him to be part of something bigger than yourself. That's the message. Mm -hmm. Teachers do this every day in their classrooms. They're already teaching kids. You're part of something much bigger than just you. And, but you are an incredibly valuable piece of this bigger process. And each one of us has greatness inside of us. And that's a real message of the musical is that the heroes of COVID are you and me and every single person around us who's trying to stop the virus and wearing our masks and social distancing and now getting the virus or getting the uh, the vaccine and you know the we are our own heroes and if you're looking out there like where's our hero that's going to save us from climate change that's right yeah stop looking out there and look in the mirror you are the hero you you are the hero and that's we have created a curriculum guide for Icky, which wow. we'll put online for free for okay. teachers. And so Icky will be able to be used in classrooms around New Mexico and meet state standards for education. And that was really important to us that we give teachers a guide so that it's a tool for them. They have to show that they're meeting state standards by using different pieces of curriculum. And we've done that and we've created a curriculum guide. So that will go live soon. And um Teachers will be able to download the the musical and play it in their class and then use this curriculum guide to open up the conversation of how are you being a hero? How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's what parents take away from it, too, is turning to your kids and saying, you've been through a heck of a year and look at you. You did it. You made it to the other end of this horrible year. The what we were told was the darkest winter of our lifetime we all the kids you see have now lived through the darkest winter of our lifetime and if you think about what that does to a person all the death all the sickness all the fear it 
it has you can go two ways right you can fall under it and just feel total despair or you can rise up and find this resilience in yourself that is there and we need that same resilience to deal with climate change and that's why the two have come together in icky in a way because the kids are talking about climate change in the class and so when our dreamer falls asleep she's hearing about climate change and so it's coming up in her imagination as she goes through the icky dream and and it's just like finding a way to show ourselves that we have it already within us you know we're all born with this incredible fire inside of us it doesn't matter if you were loved by your parents or not it doesn't matter if you found if you got great grades or not you still have this incredible fire inside of you every single person has this incredible fire inside of us and what do we do with it yeah that's right I love the message. I really do. And I think it's, I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to, uh, you know, be able to download actually uh, coming up on the 10th of May as well, uh, the dash national distribution happens. So once again, just to close, tell folks what Icky is, what it's about and um, how they can participate because a pre-registration is needed to uh, be able to hear it. Yes, yes. So we are having a world premiere on Sunday at 4 p.m. Mountain Time on Zoom because that's how icky happens. It's on Zoom. Mm -hmm. And we've created a little video so that people have something to look at. But really, it's for your mind. You can close your eyes and just listen. And I hope it takes you and transports you into the story. So that's Sunday at 4 p.m. on Zoom. And you can register. Just go to childrenshour.org. There's a pop-up that comes up. Just click on the pop-up and you can put your name in there. We only have a 500-person room on Zoom. So, and we're getting there. I can't believe how many people are signing up. I'm a, I'm a little nervous. It's a big audience for, you know, us in person. So uh, we're, we're pretty excited about it. And right after the show, and the show only runs 35 minutes because we know the attention span of kids. If there's anything I know, it's the attention span of kids. So after the 35 minutes, we're gonna have a little Q&A with our creative team. And some of the creative teams are going to be there to answer questions and fill in blanks for people. The cast will all be there. And so it's, we're. by the way, no one but very few people have heard Icky yet, including most of our creative team. Um, myself, our post-production engineer and our director are the only ones who have heard it. And um, so we can't wait to share it because it's new for everyone. It's new for the whole creative team. It's new for all the kids and it's new for all of you. And I just really hope it inspires people to remember the emotional toll of this year on our kids and to deal with that. Look at it right in the face and deal with it. and and pull those conversations out and lift yourself up because you've made it. If you're still listening right now and you're still alive, you made it, you survived. And did you thrive? My guess is there were ways that you thrived this year. And as crazy it is as it is, every horrible thing in, in the world that ever happens, any horrible, awful thing that ever happens, there's something that can be taken from that as a lesson we learn, and that is the gift. Yeah. Where is the lesson here? And I think the lesson here is about really valuing kids' mental health and, and seeing that it's, it's super important. We know that kids have been depressed because of COVID and the isolation that can lead to depression. 
And how we deal with that depression is the mark of what kind of person we can be. And so we can teach resilience to kids. It's about learning how you already are there, learning how to find it within and then raise it up and let that be where you shine your light on, your own resilience, because we need it right now. We're going to face some massive challenges that will make COVID seem like a picnic. And so we need that resilience and we're just trying to do our part to help give tools for families and teachers to teach resilience. All right, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook if you don't already. That's where we do these Facebook Lives, and we'd love to have you there. We'd love to have you involved in them as well, trying to get them scheduled out a little bit more ahead of time so we can make you aware of what's coming. You can send us your comments and your questions, but it all starts by following the page so you can get access to all of that. Uh, We have uh, one in the works this week as well. And uh, we'll have more on that for you shortly, but we'll bring that to you in a later podcast as well. And again, we want you to uh, keep track of us on Facebook, but you can also keep up with the show on Instagram, on Twitter, on YouTube. We're in all those places and we'd love to hear from you, including about this new format we're trying for the podcast where we break it up into smaller shows. So let us know what you think about all that. You can do it on any of those platforms. You can reach out to us here at the station. You can actually record a little message for us within the podcast app if you want as well. So we appreciate you tuning in. We'll be back with more later this week. But until then, stay safe, stay healthy.